Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Let's pray. Thank you, God. It is good for us to be together this morning. Thank you for the privilege we have to just take a look at your word. Um, I just thank you for the truth of Ephesians. Um, Just thinking about last week that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I pray as the Apostle Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we might know the hope to which we've been called and the riches of our glorious inheritance. And I pray that out of those riches that you would strengthen us with power through your spirit and our inner beings. And I pray, um, God, that uh, you would just give us wisdom and insight into these chapters as we look at your word. Thank you for all that Jesus has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Help us to learn what it means to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, uh, this morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapters 4 to 6, and I think the, 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 the big question uh, that we need to ask ourselves as we look at this chapter kind of comes out right at, verse, right at uh, chapter 4, verse 1, which says, so I, and there's actually the word therefore, which is the hinge between chapters 1 and 3 and, and chapters 4 to 6. So I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And in the Amplified Version, it kind of goes on and explains, uh, it says, kind of, you know, explains what it means to walk worthy. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. Now, I'm guessing every single one of us on, that is on this call this morning, um, that's, that's our heart's desire, is to live that kind of life. Um, so the Greek word for uh, translated to walk is the word peripatello, and it's mentioned seven times in the book of Ephesians, um, five times in, the, in these chapters we're looking at this morning. and here's what it what it means it means to to make one's way or to progress to make use of opportunities to regulate one's life and to conduct oneself basically if we were to summarize what it means to walk uh according to the greek it's basically how you live your life how how are you going to live your life but there's a problem that we come up with with this whole concept of walking worthy um because who of us in and of ourselves could claim that we are worthy before God? Uh, anyone who would say that they are worthy before God in and of themselves would be biblically off base. So that's the problem. And then there's the challenge of walking worthy, which is kind of ties back into Ephesians chapter one to three, that even though we have the life of the triune God in us, 
And in Ephesians chapter one and three, you know, it explains how amazing our salvation is that we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The life of God is in us, which is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even though we have the life of God in us, we live in spiritual immaturity until we learn the supernatural work of walking worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Now to solve this problem and this challenge, I think we need to reflect on Paul's writing style. Um, you know, Paul wrote, wrote two thirds of the New Testament and his, his common style of writing is that he always lays down doctrine first and then he says, in light of that doctrine, this is how you should live. So it's always doctrine before duty or beliefs before behavior. This is what you need to believe. And in light of those beliefs, this is how you should live. Or in the, in the case of Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, he laid down a lot of positional truth. And then he tells us how to live our lives practically. So he says in Ephesians 2 that we, that we are seated in um, that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So that's a positional truth. Um, and now he's going to tell us how to live that out practically. Or you could say he first explains, okay, this is who you are, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and, and now this is how you should act. Now that's important because it's it's a it's great for us to reflect on the difference between religion and the gospel um, because religion starts with I obey therefore I'm accepted by God in other words it's performance based and it's focused on me it's it's um you know us trying to earn our way to God um, through our good works that's what religion is but the gospel is that I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And I'm accepted based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's in light of what he's done for me that I obey. And this is how Paul writes his letters. He always begins with the, you know, what God has done for us. And in light of that, that's how we are to live our lives. So the gospel is focused on Jesus not so much on us, um, which is important for us to remember. Um, by the way, I have um, um, three times during my presentation, I will stop and take comments and questions. So if you have any, you know, make a little note and, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, discuss those. So you can also raise your hand. There's a little feature on here where you can raise your hand. Uh, and I'll make a note of that, so know that you have a question for Greg. So you're welcome to do that. Or when he opens it up, what you'll need to do is unmute yourself, which is in the bottom left of the screen on most of our uh, setups, and then uh, fire away with your question, okay? So when those points come up, Greg, we'll open it up. Thanks. Sounds good, sounds good. So we are to walk worthy of our calling. Um, what is our calling? Well, all believers in Jesus, we're all called to reflect the character and the heart of Jesus. In one of Paul's other books, in Romans 8.29, he said that he is 
predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. So we are, we are called to reflect the character and the heart of Jesus. Um, so this is where we're going to go this morning in these chapters. Um, that to walk worthy is to live a life in unity. And then to walk worthy is to live distinctively. To walk worthy is to live in mutual submission. And to walk worthy is to, be, is to, to live clothed in God's armor. Um, so that's, this is where we're going to, this is where we're heading. So let's uh, start off with Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So right off the bat, we see that in order to walk in unity requires humility, requires gentleness, requires patience, requires love, requires peace. Now, when I read those, that list, I think in and of myself, those things don't come naturally to me. But, but I also remember that Paul wrote about the fruits of the Holy Spirit and that, and that these things are possible because of the, the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna um, talk about how the Holy Spirit is really the key to walking worthy. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna get, get there. So let's move on though, and let's talk about unity. Um, if you look at verses four to six, and in a few minutes, I'm gonna ask for volunteers to read some of these passages, but I'll, I'll go ahead and start us off. In verse four, he says, there is one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of us all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So you can definitely see there that the Apostle Paul is focusing on unity, uh, the oneness. Um, but then, in verses 11 to 16, he says that Christ gave some as apostles, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there through every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what do we learn about unity? We learn that the basis of Christian unity is that there, there's one body. And in light of, you know, we know we've got all kinds of denominations, but, but there is one body of Christ. There's one spirit who indwells all believers. One hope, and that hope is that we will spend eternity with Christ. One Lord, the Lord Jesus, 
you know, who, who made salvation possible. One faith, that salvation is by grace to all who believe. One baptism, which is by the, by the Spirit, but also uh, water baptism. And one God, the Father of all, all redeemed. So some things about unity. Um, it's interesting that Paul says we need to keep the unity. Um, we're not supposed to create unity. Unity is something that has always existed in, from eternity past because unity, you know, the, the origin of unity is in the triune God, is in God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so much like love, you know, when we say God is love, that's because God, um, love is not something God created. Love has always existed in, in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You could say the, the idea of community, the fact that we need each other, is also um, something that is not created, was created, but it's something that's always existed. So unity um, has always existed. And unity is not the same thing as uniformity. And we see this because Paul quickly transitions and he starts talking about diversity. He starts talking about the diversity within the body um, through the spiritual gifts that he has given. Um, so I'm not going to go, we're not going to spend a lot of time on spiritual gifts because we can spend the whole time on it. But there's four key passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts if you're interested. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4.10, which I really like 1 Peter 4.10. It's kind of a great summary of the spiritual gifts. It says that each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So that kind of shows you the purpose of the gifts. Um, that it's all about serving others. And, and we also notice that um, unlike in Ephesians chapter one, where it says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ, when it comes to spiritual gifts, most, you know, we don't get all the spiritual gifts. We, God has given each one of us a unique gift and we're to use that to serve the body. So um, again, just a, just a quick like, um, some of the things you find out here in Ephesians 4 is you see the diversity of the gifts. Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. You see the function of the gifts. That The goal of the gifts is to equip God's people to do works of service. And then you, um, and then you see uh, the goal of the gifts, the unity and maturity in the church. Um, the results of the gifts are that we do grow into maturity. And the success of the, of the gifts um, is laid out there in verses four, 15 and 16. Um, now this is, this is where, this is what really stood out to me as I was uh, uh, studying this passage these last couple of weeks. Isn't it interesting in verse 14 that Paul himself says that he's spiritually immature because he uses the word, he uses the word we. Um, he says, then we will no longer be infants. He includes himself in that statement. And so the question that I kept, that I've been thinking about is if, if, if the apostle Paul says he's a spiritual toddler, then what am I? <laughs> I mean, 
what, what, how's my maturity? And he also, in these verses, kind of gives you some signs of spiritual immaturity. And the, the three, three signs that I see in these verses are, the first one is not being discerning, that you can't discern false teaching from good teaching. Um, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Another sign would be self-centeredness, which all of us know, like, you know, toddlers, um, you don't teach kids to be selfish. You know, they just, they were just naturally self-centered. And so that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And then the third one is not being steady. We're easily distracted by circumstances. We lack long obedience in the same direction. So we could also flip that around and say, well, well then what are some marks of spiritual maturity? Well, I think one of them is being wise and discerning in the scriptures, um, that you're able to identify and reject false teaching. And again, as I said at the beginning of this study, I think that's why a, a Bible study like what we're doing is so important because a lot of people, they just sit under topical preaching and they never really understand the whole scriptures. They never, they never get to understand the whole Bible and they never see the unity of the Bible. Um, so um, that's why I think this, this kind of Bible study is so important. And then obviously not being self-centered, serving others, quick to acknowledge and repent of sin, um, and then being steady. And I think this is a key one. A mark of maturity is being faithful and obedient in the midst of both suffering and success. Um, some would say it's harder to follow Christ when you're experiencing tremendous success um, because you tend to take credit for it. Um, in suffering, at least you go to God, you know, for comfort. Um, but that faithful obedience, that long obedience in the same direction is a great mark of spiritual maturity. Um, so here's, here's some applications of this. We should not be shocked by the immaturity of other believers, even our spiritual leaders. Um, I, even just this past week, maybe some of you heard the story about the, the post that Jerry Falwell Jr. Jerry Falwell Jr. posted a picture. He, he posted this picture on, on uh, Twitter, I think, with, with a caption, um, basically bragging that he was on a yacht and he was, he was holding, he, was, he was, uh, uh, had his arm around a young woman who was not his wife. And, and the picture was very, very inappropriate, very, very immature. And, uh, and the thing that shocked me about it is that he posted that himself. He, he put that out there. Um, and so we shouldn't be shocked when we see the immaturity of other believers, even spiritual leaders. I mean, if the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm still growing in maturity. Um, but but the, the second point, and this is the more important point, I think, we should not put up with spiritual immaturity in ourselves. We, we cannot tolerate it in ourselves. Um, it shouldn't surprise us when we see it in other people, but we should, we should not tolerate it in ourselves. Okay, let me pause here and just see if anybody has any questions or comments. Again, if you have a question, uh, just 
Just unmute yourself in the bottom left of your screen and uh, fire away with a question. Greg, in regard to spiritual gifts, uh, do you think it's important that each of us try to identify those gifts or just go with the flow of how the Lord has has given us passions and and uh, and serve him in whatever capacity? I think definitely it's it can be valuable to try to identify um, your your spiritual gift. Um, but I, I do believe if you're just seeking God and you're following God, you will naturally um, start using your gift. Um, but it can be helpful, um, especially if there's anyone here that has never taken a spiritual gifts test or something like that. And those things, those things aren't, you know, they're not biblical. They're not like, you know, um, 100% accurate. Um, so, um, but they can be very helpful to kind of narrow down, like, you know, do you have speaking gifts? Uh, do you have serving gifts? Are you more of a behind the scenes person? Um, and one of the things about spiritual gifts is that we tend to think that one, some gifts are more important than others. And that's a very dangerous thing to think of because all the gifts are needed. And uh, just because we don't have the, the pastoral gift or the speaking gift, um, doesn't mean we're less of a believer. Um, some of the some of the greatest believers in the kingdom of, of God are people that you you never know their name. That are, that are behind the scenes. Like for example, Billy Graham. He had two old two old ladies that prayed for him um, during his during his crusades. And a lot of I think um, he attributed a lot of his success. And of course, it's all the Lord's success, but to those, those two women um, who began praying for him during his thing. And so, um, Louis, I saw Louis Bearden raise his hand. You want to unmute yourself and fire away? Well, a question I wanted to kind of ask, if one is equipped or filled with the Holy Spirit, don't they in essence receive all the gifts? I, I would I would be happy to defer to some of the other people in this in this in 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 this group but what I would say to that Louis is I guess yeah I mean God God could God give us all the gifts I yeah um, I think it's possible I mean he's God right so he could he could decide you know today to change um, my gift but I but I do think that I do think he's created each one of us uniquely and, and, uh, and I do think we, we all have a, a specific gift. Um, I don't know if anybody else in this, in this audience wants to speak to that, but that's a good question. Okay. Ed, unmute yourself. There we go. You know, it's uh, to answer Louis's question, or I think I can answer Louis's question the way I look at it. We are all given spiritual, all of the spiritual gifts, but uh, some of them are stronger than the other ones. Uh, it's like going into the Air Force. It took the Air Force entrance exam, and they classify you 
as to what your strongest points are. Uh, your spiritual gifts, you have some that are stronger than others. But yeah, you, you and I've taken uh, the spiritual gifts. Uh, service seems to be mine behind the scenes. And, uh, but I had other things uh, as far as teaching and um, evangelism and stuff like that, that, uh, that was there, but the numbers were much smaller than, than what service was. That's good. Thanks, Ed. Ray, comment, Ray? Yeah. Um, I look at it, at it as you may have the spiritual gifts, but where are your passions? What really drives you? And that could be where your best service lies. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. Well, right. like I said, I, I, uh, I didn't really concentrate on the spiritual gifts. So, um, you know, the, I think those are good thoughts, though. And I do think there are times when, like, if you go on a missions trip, let's say you don't have the gift of evangelism, but you go on a missions trip that, you know, during that trip, you know, God can anoint you and give you the words to say and give you the, the, the ability of an evangelist. Um, so, yeah, I think we have access. I mean, God can do whatever he wants to do. Um, but he has, I think the point, the point that I was trying to bring up is there's unity in the body, but we, but there's also great, great diversity. And that's a beautiful thing that unity and diversity together. So let's move forward. Could somebody read chapter we, four? Could we, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I need to. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, I think the scripture is pretty uh, clear here, particularly in uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthians as he uh, lays out uh, the gifts. Not, it's not exhaustive. Uh, and even in Romans 12, uh, we, if there's an, there's if clauses, if these things are true, then do those. The, the gifts are, are distinctly given to individuals. Uh, you use the word, you use the phrase evangelism. We are to do the work of evangelism. Uh, scripture is clear about that. But as you said, Greg, the, the diversity of the body of Christ is, is important to acknowledge so that each of us is given a gift. I, I, I'm fearful that we might, we might be allowing ourselves to look at the, I don't think no one said this, please understand the, the, we all have the fruit. We're all given the fruit of the spirit, which is being developed in us. I think that gets into the maturity immaturity aspect. But um, to Louis's point, I, I don't think we get all of the gifts. Uh, I think the scripture is, um, I think it's pretty clear there. Um, so. Uh, that, would be, that would be in First uh, Corinthians 12. Are all apostles? Implied answer, correct. no. Do all yeah. have the gift of tongues? Implied answer, no. Right. Well, so, so yeah, God has gifted each of us individually uh, with special ability to serve his kingdom, but uh, each of us is different. Each of us is unique, but I don't have the whole pantheon of gifts. Greg? Joe? Greg, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's Joe. I, I was going to actually call in Jim College and make this point, but in the 17 years I've been at CC Chapel, uh, it's, it's been uh, my feeling that the church encourages us to uh, discover the spiritual gifts given to us. And I know in our ABF, we covered it once. And I think there's been at least one class, Jim, that I can recall that had, um, had a class, had a, uh, a covered the, the subject of discovering your spiritual gifts. That's correct. Yeah. All right. We'll let this you move is, on here, Greg. I, I've, got one, I've got one quick oh. comment to make. Um, back to Louis's question. I, I think one thing that's good for us to, reflect on and understand is when we become a believer in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, we don't get part of the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit. Right. And then, you know, to Jim College's point, the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us with various gifts. Some of them are more powerful gifts than others. Some of them are more efficient or effective than others. But even if you don't get certain gifts at this point in time, that doesn't mean that in the future the Holy Spirit may not give you a gift that you don't have today or put you in a position where there's a gift that needs to be exercised that he empowers you to exercise. But the one thing that we need to understand is that when we get the Holy Spirit, we get him. We don't get part of him. We get God dwelling in us. And then the other point in all of this is these are gifts and we need to think of them as gifts. In other words, they are given to us by God's good pleasure. It's what he discerns we need and what he wants us to have. It's not what we determine we should have. It's what he gives us. It's a gift. Great points there, Tim. Greg, for the sake of time, let's move on to the second portion in chapter four. Go ahead. Yeah. And just to finally say this, here's the cool thing. If you're a believer, you get a gift. You know, nobody's left out. So I think that's, that's the thing to celebrate is that everyone gets a gift. Um, okay, could I have asked for a volunteer to read uh, chapter 4, verses 17 to 32? If, if you can, just go ahead and unmute yourself and... Read away. I got it. So I tell you this, and it's right. in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, 
that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thank you. So I think the second point of walking worthy is, am I walking distinctively? Um, in other words, this, this passage just has this huge list of what it was like, what the, the Gentiles, how they lived before they knew Christ and how we should live. So we should move from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Um, we should move from being having a futile life to a purposeful life, um, from ignorant of truth to knowing the truth, from unregenerate mind to a renewed mind, from speaking falsehood to speaking truthfully, and from anger to forgiveness. Now, not all anger is, you can be angry and not sin. I believe in righteous anger, but there is a form of anger that is sin. Um, um, so, and again, if, if all we did is read this passage and we didn't have the context of Ephesians chapters one to three, we might think that this is just, you know, we try to live this out in and of ourselves, like, um, through our own moral performance, but this is like impossible to live. And we're going to see, um, in the next section that we need help from the Holy Spirit, um, uh, could I have, maybe Tim Miller, could you read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20? Sure. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of, of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruit, fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, 
Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Tim. So, again, we see this list of, of behaviors that are not acceptable for believers. Sexual immorality, no greed, no obscenity, um, no partnership with the disobedient. But instead, we're to have a thankful spirit, be gracious, and, and live sacrificial lives. So I really um, think that the key to walking distinctively is, to, is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I actually think it's the whole key to walking, uh, walking worthy is we cannot walk worthy if we, if we are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting um, how he explains um, that he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. Just to contrast, well, what does drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit have in common? Um, well, some would say that both of them and, and I got to be honest, I got to confess here, I've never been drunk in my life, so I don't know what that feeling is like. Um, and I'm not boasting about that, you know, I'm, I'm just saying I, I don't know. But what I've been told is that both uh, can make you bold and happy. Some people drink to, to be just to get to be happy. Now, I know that there's also cases where it makes people very unhappy, but it seems like it does make people more bold. They lose their filter kind of thing, um, which um, is interesting because what they don't have in common is drinking too much uh, alcohol can make you less aware of your surroundings, where the spirit can make you more aware of your surroundings. And I think this is the point that Paul is trying to, to bring out. Um, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 of Elisha and his servant, and they're surrounded by enemies. And the servant is freaking out. And Elijah could have said to the servant, well, hey, go drink some wine and you'll feel better, you know, because you'll become less aware of your surroundings. But no, what did Elijah do? He said, he prayed and he said, open our eyes and let us see. And all of a sudden, you know, he opened the servant's eyes and he saw all the warriors of heaven, like, you know, basically that the victory was theirs. And I think that's one of the cool things about this, the Holy Spirit is it can make you more aware of your surroundings. Um, so um, we learn in this passage that, and I'm, I'm going to be stopping for questions and comments here in just one second, that walking in the Spirit enables us to walk in love. Um, uh, that walking in the Spirit enables us to walk in the light. Uh, that it enables us to walk in God's wisdom and it enables other people to see Jesus in us. In Colossians, one of Paul's other letters, he said that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So my thinking on this is that as believers, um, we should, people should 
see that we're different. They should notice something different about us. And um, a, a kind of an illustration of this would be, you know, Moses had an encounter with God at, in the, at, with the burning bush. And after that encounter at the burning bush, Moses was never the same. He became a, bu a burning bush. He became a burning bush to Pharaoh. Um, he became a burning bush to the people around him. They, they saw something different about him. And my thinking is um, that's the way part of walking worthy is to become like burning bushes for God. And the only reason, the only way we're able to do that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so let's pause here for questions, comments. Greg? Yes. Joe, go ahead. It's, it's Joe. Um, you know, you read and we read uh, in, in 4, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I thought to myself, you know, how, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? You, you finish it in verses uh, through 32, and then what Tim read, the first 20 verses, we have to remember, you know, the Scripture says what? Know you not that the, your body is the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So the Spirit is dwelling in us. He's absolutely aware when we do all these things that are mentioned in 31, 32, and then the first 20 verses uh, that Tim just read, and that's how we grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit when we do the very things we've just read about, uh, and there's no hiding it. I mean, he lives within us. He knows what we think. He knows what we're doing. He sees that, and it, that's what grieves him, I believe. Plus, if we talk against, obviously, Jesus Christ, who he came to testify of. Yeah, that's great. Great comment, Joe. You know, uh, Paul talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Um, and it reminds me of, this is going to date myself, but that, that Christian band Petra used to have a song called Killing My Old Man. And the, the problem is when we become Christians, we still have the old nature. And so we're, we're constantly in battle. We, we, we're fighting that old nature. And the, the resource we have to, to, to really walk in the new nature is the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I don't know if you've heard the concept of practice, if you've ever heard of this concept called practice spiritual breathing, but just as we have to inhale and exhale to live, you know, um, we inhale oxygen and then we have to exhale. Um, you know, it's, it's the same in our spiritual lives. We need to, we need to exhale any known sin known and sometimes unknown sin and and then inhale the the spirit um you know to to take control i i find that concept kind of helpful it's maybe not perfect but um but it, it it helps me think of like you know on a regular basis i need to be repenting and and turning back over to god um other comments or questions before we move on louis Barrington. Unmute yourself. Greg, one of the things you brought up earlier that it's just, it's really striking me on a heavy level this morning is the importance of staying steady. And it just, all I can think about is that story in scripture where Jesus was sleeping in the bow of the boat. And imagine the fear that they had waking up Christ. And they woke him up, you know, aren't you terrified? And, you know, this is the man who calms the water. And the power that raised him from the dead dwells within us. And I was going through a challenging time. And I remember I called my friend, Sanj Kalra. And I remember him saying to me, just 
just a couple of words. He said, Louie, stay steady. So, and I just want to encourage each man this morning, boy, life, life sometimes can be very, very difficult, but can you imagine life without Christ and the importance of just staying steady and living life on that foundation rock? Great. Uh, comment from Lou DeMarco. Uh, Greg. Uh, yeah, Gre Greg, uh, as, as a guy that might have been drunk once or twice, uh, I, I can tell you that uh, the Holy Spirit gives you the joy that you were searching for, or I was searching for, when I was leading a drunk and misguided life in my youth and so on. And, and uh, if you just think about the joy, you know, Paul says it's far better to be with Christ, but he would stay with us to help us. So just think about that, because, you know, a lot of us are going to, we're all going to face death. And, you know, when we die as Christians, it gets better. So just think about the joy. And I think that's part of the thing is, it, you know, you did such a good job of describing what it's like for the religious and then what's, what it's like under grace. And I think Ephesians all is all about grace. But we think about the joy that is, is laid before us. I mean, in the first chapter, it talks about God's good pleasure and his glorious grace. And that, you know, you mentioned in your prayers and how we're, we have the inheritance. And it's just, uh, you know, that, that's where we need to go. I, I think we need to go there with the Holy Spirit. I think there's been some excellent, excellent comments. This is a, this is a very good session. Thank you. And a sneak preview, if you want to talk more about joy, come back next week because we're in the uh, book of Philippians, all about the epistle of joy. Uh, Walter Hull, do you have a comment? Yes. Uh, I just uh, share with you. In Congo, my, one of the best Congolese evangelists um, who spent nine years in prison for murder, and he got out and went to seminary and became the most effective evangelist in South Central uh, Congo. And one of his statements frequently made was, the Christian who is not at war with himself has made a truce with the devil. And he, he, he says that from his own experience. Mm. The man who's not at war with himself, or the Christian who's not at war with himself, has made a truce with the devil. That's a great, man, that's a great thought. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that, Walter. I really appreciate it. Um, well, let's let's move on. We, we, uh, we still have a, a little bit uh, more ways to go. Hey, Greg, uh, this is Dave. Oh, yeah, go for it, Dave. Yeah, just real quick before you get to your next point on the aspect of the Holy Spirit as a person. Uh, there was a con there's a concept about the Spirit, and, and it, just as I'm speaking for myself here, that to identify him as the third person of the Trinity. And, and, and verse 30 kind of gives us that word to do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And grieving is an emotion. So it's something that connected me more deeply into that, that fact of the third person of the Trinity has feelings, that there's a connection there between what, you know, what we do. Like when I sin, I grieve the Spirit. So then when I pray in confession of that, I pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because I grieved all three in a sense. So I, I love how that verse kind of brings that connection in there, that personality of the Holy Spirit to us and with us so that we can appreciate him even deeper. Thank you. 
That's a great thought. You know, one of the things that I realized as I've been reading the, the book of Ephesians is how many times the Trinity appears. Um, uh, the, the Father, the Son, the, the Spirit. Um, so, but I do think that the Holy Spirit is really the key to walking, a, walking worthy, um, to walking unity. And boy, do we need unity more than ever before. I mean, we're, you know, churches are being divided on whether to wear masks or not, or whether to, uh, you know, meet publicly. And we need unity more than ever before. We need to walk, to, you know, distinctively. People need to see that we're different how we're handling this pandemic, that we are not freaking out, that we're at peace, um, that we're serving, that we're loving. Um, but thirdly, we need to walk in mutual submission. And a lot of people overlook, you know, there's a lot of controversy over this submit to your husband's kind of uh, thing that the, the world loves to just like throw that in our face and say that it's just so archaic and out of, de out, of, out of date, but what they don't realize is, I mean, verse 21 of chapter five says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we are all called as believers to submit to one another, male, female, uh, whatever race you are, that we, there's a mutual submission that should come naturally to Christians. Um, Louis, could you read verses 21 to 33? I'm sorry I put you on the spot, buddy. <laughs> chapter 5, 21 yeah. to 33. Yeah, chapter 5, 21 to 33. Okay, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are the members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you. So mutual submission. So here we see, um, like I mentioned, um, verse 21 is often overlooked um, in the context of, of uh, this idea of uh, submission. But uh, wives are called to respect their husbands and submit to his leadership, uh, which would be his uh, headship, or we, we often refer to it as his headship. Um, verse 33, wife must respect her husband. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, so the, the, the reality here is that, um, but, then, but then husbands are called to love their wives sacrificially, putting her needs above his own. Um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
So husbands also ought to love their own wives. So we see here, if the husband is really living out his role, there's no way there's going to be any abuse. Um, this is, you're, you're actually putting your wife ahead of yourself sacrificially. And uh, so the, the whole idea that, that the world makes a big deal, that this is like abusive, and I'm sure it's going to come down the pike at some point. Somebody's going to print a Bible and take this out of it um, or change the words or, you know. Um, but this concept is a beautiful concept, and it's really a concept of the gospel. Um, the whole passage teaches us um, what, you know, um, the relationship between husbands and wives is a reflection of the love relationship between Christ and his body, the church. Um, so um, the passage goes on in chapter six. He talks about how, um, you know, all believers are, should submit to one another. The children should obey and honor their parents. Parents should discipline and instruct their children. Slaves should, should serve and obey their masters. Masters should serve and care for their slaves. Um, so, um, again, in just a few minutes, we're going to be able to take comments because maybe you have, you know, um, I just want to say something about this, you know, with all that's happening with the r racial tension in, in our country, um, a lot of people are offended by these verses about slaves and masters. But the Bible, just because the Bible mentions, um, like, for example, the Bible mentions polygamy um, in the Old Testament all over, but it never says that it promotes, that it supports polygamy. In fact, every time you see polygamy, it's usually a disaster. Um, so, so just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it, that God is supporting it. So, and, and slavery back in the time when, when this was written was often voluntary. Um, so it wasn't race-based and it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of slavery that happened in America. So I think that, um, again, I can see people that just want to tear this out of the Bible. Um, but we, we have to take things in context and understand them in, in that way. Hey, Greg, I'm going to ask uh, Jim Collish to share an analogy that he gave covering his passage many years ago, but it's powerful. Jim? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, I've always used the, uh, the, um, the umbrella analogy. I do it in wedding ceremonies particularly, um, I talk about a husband's responsibility is to have an umbrella of protection over his wife. And so he opens that umbrella up. And when I, when I speak to the bride, I say, you know, you right now, you have the opportunity, um, if that umbrella is open, to come under it or not come under it. Um, I can offer that, but each one is responds unilaterally. So a husband is to open the umbrella of protection, leadership, if you will, fully. Um, the husband or the bride is to uh, determine whether she's going to come under it or not. And by the way, regardless of how much um, the umbrella is open, the, the wife is responsible uh, again, unilaterally to come under it. I always tell the the groom, uh, even if she doesn't come under it, you ought to be running 
with that umbrella open uh, and stretching it out as much as you can to have her come under it. So um, I do it a little bit with greater uh, tenderness and uh, compassion in a wedding ceremony or in a counseling session, but that's the essence of it. Um, thanks for letting me share it. Uh, by the way, but, uh, Greg, one just one comment, um, and this is not a criticism, but in your slide here, it says children should, parents should, slaves should, masters should. Uh, all, those, all those verbs are imperatives, so there's no subjunctive nature to them. Um, pardon me for the grammar lesson. Um, so it's not children should, it's children obey. Parents discipline, slaves serve, masters serve. Um, so it's, there, there's some real power in this particular section. I mean, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't give you any wiggle room here. It's, uh, it, it, you, you are, you and I are commanded to do these things, regardless of what position we find ourselves. Okay, I'm taking up your time. I yield. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jim, for sharing that, uh, that analogy. And you know what? Grammar was not my strong point. Um, and I, I agree there. Yeah. These are commands. These are commands. Um, so change all those shoulds to must and you're good must. there, Greg. But yeah. <laughs> now let's move on to our last section here. Yeah. Last section is, uh, am I walking with God's armor into the battle? And uh, verses 10 to 20, uh, could I get a volunteer to read those verses? And then we'll wrap this up for today. I've got it, Greg. Okay, thanks. Go ahead, David. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having lured your, your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf as well, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness and the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Thank you. So this is the final uh, 
aspect of walking worthy is are we ready for the are we ready and prepared for the the battle um so we see in these verses the purpose he talks about the armor of god and the the purpose of the armor it's to overcome satan's schemes to fight against the evil it's to engage in spiritual warfare um and again man you talk about the the climate that's happening in america right now we need to remember that our struggles not against flesh and blood um that there are spiritual forces of evil at work um and boy you can see those more now more you know now more than ever um you can you can see evil working behind the scenes and a lot of what we see in in the media um and then he explains the, the pieces of the armor. And here's one illustration of what the armor uh, may look like. Um, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, sword of the spirit, feet protected by the gospel, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness. Um, one thing in my research I just, that I learned is the belt of truth is not just a simple belt like we would wear, but it probably was actually a much larger almost um, uh, a whole undergarment that you would wear made of leather that kind of like was the, the first thing that you put on and, and key to holding everything else in place. So it would cover actually go down to your thighs and it would cover part of your chest. Um, that it wasn't just the skinny belt that, that, we, that we think of. Um, as, a, as a young believer, I remember hearing a speaker um talking about spiritual warfare and this one quote that he, this one line i don't remember much of what else he said but but i remember this one line where he said this when i realized that life is war i was able to live at peace um we are in a spiritual battle and we need uh to put on the armor the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness and by the way paul, the apostle paul got a lot of these um, concepts from the book of Isaiah um, and um, talking about Jesus. Um, so the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the, the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, uh, the sword of the spirit. Um, so before we take final questions and comments, this is my kind of closing thought, is that to walk worthy is to take the objective truth about Jesus and the gospel that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter one to three, and he wants us to apply it subjectively in our hearts as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That'll help us grow in spiritual maturity, and we do that in the midst of community, and then we will be lights for Jesus in a dark world. So, the whole concept of, um, you know, God has given us all these spiritual blessings in Christ. He wants us to, uh, to apply those, not just to our heads, but into our hearts. And part of, part of that is, I think, also tied in with putting on this, the armor of God. For example, the helmet of salvation could be just our assurance of salvation, that no matter what the enemy says to you, the enemy likes to say, oh, you call yourself a Christian. Look at what you just did. You know, you can't be a Christian. But if you have the helmet of salvation on, you have the assurance of salvation and, and you can't be shaken, you know, by, by the enemy's 
arrows. So um, two, two questions you can ask yourself, and then, and then I'll take my final comments and questions is, are you, as you think about your, your spiritual maturity, are you more humble, more happier, more self-controlled, with more inner peace than you had a year ago? And then if you have the courage, do you have the courage to ask somebody who knows you whether this is the case uh, or not? Um, so I think that we, it's, it's good for us to, to think about, you know, am I growing in maturity? And to grow in maturity is to walk worthy. To walk worthy is to walk in unity, to walk distinctively, to walk in mutual submission, and to walk clothed in God's armor. Okay, let's go to some final comments, questions. Greg? Greg? Yes. Walter. Uh, let me share ex experience with you. Uh, a number of years ago, when we were still in Congo, a number of us doctors went to Nairobi, north of Nairobi, for a medical meeting. And while we were in Nairobi, before going up to that meeting place, we attended the first Presbyterian Church in Nairobi. And it's a thousand, at least a thousand people in that, in that sanctuary. We were a little bit late. And as we arrived, you know what hymn they were singing? Onward Christian Soldiers. A hymn that is almost forbidden in our songbooks here. It's hard to find. But it affirms, once again, the fact. I mean, this, is, this piece of Ephesians illustrates that. Our lives are a form of warfare. Let us be good soldiers. <laughs> and that was a testimony to me to hear these thousand people singing onward Christian soldiers. Greg? Yes. It's Joe. Um, as we wrap up Ephesians, you've done a wonderful job. What a great study has been said several times this morning. But I was, as I was reading the summary for the week in our Daily Walk Bible, it encourages, it says, take a few minutes to review the book of Ephesians and inventory all that you are and have uh, because you are in, in Christ. It's as simple uh, as revealing all the occurrences in the little phrase, in Christ or in him. So I started to do that, and I encourage all of us to do that. And as I go back to chapter 1, it starts out by saying, uh, Praise be to God the Father, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Then chapter, and in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. And he made known to us the mystery of, uh, of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, uh, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It goes on. That's just the first 10, 15 verses of chapter 1. Chapter 2 encourages us. So when several of you remember that when I have a Bible study with my Christian, uh, my Catholic cousins, and they say, Joe, why are you so preoccupied with Christ? Well, because of all these blessings that we've studied about last week and with you this week, they're all in Christ. You know, our salvation and everything else that's mentioned. And so I just uh, commend that to you as uh, we are challenged by uh, the writer of our Daily Walk Bible, now that we've completed Ephesians, to go back and see all that we have in Christ.
Amen. Louis, go ahead. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, has a wonderful quote, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but the idea is there. Um, I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the man God called me to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not the man I used to be. So I think we're either ripe and rotting or green and growing. And one of the marks of a Christian is that trajectory that we're growing closer and closer and becoming more and more like Christ. And I thank this group and the men in this group for holding me accountable and the blessing of these Saturday mornings. And um, certainly you guys have helped keep me in the riverbanks. I haven't gone too far left and I haven't gone too far right. But most importantly, thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Greg. Somebody close us in prayer. Uh, Father, uh, once again, we're so grateful to you for your word, for the gifts that you have given us uh, through your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Lord, we thank you for this time together as men. Help us to live lives that honor you. And Lord, we know that our lives can honor you and we will not grieve your Holy Spirit who dwells in us if we are obedient to you. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to obey your commands, to love you with all our hearts, and to love all of those around us um, that you bring into our presence through your grace. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast.com at gmail.com stay tuned for our next episode and remember on your worst days you're never beyond the reach of god's grace and on your best days you're never beyond the need of god's grace see you next time